sometimes I meditate on what God suffered at the cross. You mean God suffered at the cross? Yes, of course he did. Now God did test Abraham and said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get him into a mount that I will tell thee of, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Isaac said, Father, here's the fire and here's the knife, but uh, where's your offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for an offering. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast once again has the opportunity to hear Dr. Mitchell teaching an entry-level class of Bible students on the spiritual life. Dr. Mitchell always taught incoming freshman classes on the spiritual life. This class covered all the basic doctrines of the Bible. And in this lesson, we continue from the biblical teaching on propitiation, which leads to the biblical understanding of justification. And these are two benefits that God provided through the blood of Christ on the cross. They are provided for the salvation of the one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell teaching the gospel of the righteousness of God. When Adam sinned, God says, In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, the question I ask, did he die? Well, your answer would be, yes, he died spiritually. Well, that's true. But let me tell you this. When God said, in the day you eat, you shall surely die, he meant the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. And man lived to be a good hoary age. He lived to be 900 and some years. Of course, in Second Peter, it says, chapter 3, a day is in God's sight as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. No man ever lived to be a thousand years. Methuselah lived to be 900 and, uh, was it, 965, was it? I wouldn't want to live that long. Good night. Live that long, 900 years. What an, whew. Uh, why, Mr. Mitchell, I thought you were going to live forever. 
I am, but not in this kind of old body. See? And down through the centuries, there has been, right from Adam on down through, there's been a great, shall I say, misunderstanding in the hearts of men that God doesn't keep his word. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for all the saints from Adam on. I'll tell you, why didn't Adam die within 24 hours? Because God looked forward to the cross when his son would die for Adam's sin and for your sin, for my sin. All the sins of the human race, all the murders and the immorality and the corruption of the human race was laid on him and he died. What did he do? He satisfied the holy character of God. Now listen. Before God could save anybody, his character must be vindicated. His justice, his righteousness must be satisfied. I'm not prepared to say what some men say, that Christ died to satisfy an angry God. You don't find that in the Bible. He died to vindicate the righteous character of God. It was a question of the justice of God. When you keep this in mind, when he died at the cross, as the psalmist says, mercy and justice kissed each other. Before God could shower mercy upon you, he must be vindicated. Let me give you an illustration. Are you folk taking, uh, are you folk in the, how many of you folk are in uh, Exodus? You're not in Exodus, are you? Are you in Exodus? Well, you know the tabernacle? You remember the tabernacle? Uh, you know the tabernacle? Uh, when you come on the inside, I know how to do this. On the inside was the, was the mer it's called the mercy seat. The cherubim guarding the mercy seat. And there was a veil of the temp, the veil of the tabernacle in between. This was the holiest, this is called the holiest of all. And the holy place is out here. The holy place is the, this is the holiest of all. See? This is the holiest of all. Why is this called a mercy seat? It was really a judgment seat. Down in here was the, was the, was the law. The, the, the tables of the two tables of the law, Ten Commandments. Out here you have the people of Israel have broken these laws. According to the law, they should die. The soul that sinned, they shall die. That's what the law says. Why didn't they die? Because once a year the high priest came and he put, and he sprinkled the mercy seat, this judgment seat with blood, and because of the sacrifice it was transformed from a judgment throne into a mercy seat. And if you take this word propitiation, uh, it doesn't fully meet the need, but it would be simple to put it this way, that propitiation is that Jesus Christ became the mercy seat for you and for me. Well, let me ask a question. How many of you folk pray? Boy, wonderful. 
How many of you pray for us teachers? Boy, we ought to be good preachers after that. See, all you're praying for us. To whom do you pray? You see, why we pray to the Lord. Isn't he righteous? Yes. Isn't he holy? Yes. And how dare you come into the presence of a holy, righteous God? I read that God can't look upon sin with any favor. And the soul that sinned, that shall die. How many of you have sinned? Why don't you die? Well, but I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Then he's removed the barrier between you and God, and he has perfectly satisfied the character of God for you. If I made myself clear, I'm trying to make it very clear, trying to make it simple so you can see it. Propitiation is the God side of the cross, what God has in the cross. Sometimes, sometimes I, I meditate on what God suffered at the cross. You mean God suffered at the cross? Yes, of course he did. If you, if you had a child, if you had a son going into death, you suffer. Is that right? I know what I'm talking about. You go over, you, you go into some of these dear families, here's a dear little lady, the sweetest kitty, six months of age. Rosie takes healthy as can be, and in 24 hours, he was dead. And I went over there, and I'm telling you, it was just the grace of God. The agony of heart, the suffering. Mother suffered more than the son. Baby went to be with the Lord. In less than 24 hours, he was gone. In fact, he was only sick about a couple of hours. He was gone. She suffered for months. Did you know that God at the cross suffered? Let me give you an Old Testament illustration. Genesis chapter 22. I read, And God said to Abraham, now, now, it starts this way, I think. Now, God did test Abraham and said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get him into a mount that I will tell thee of, and offer him there for a burnt offering. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and cut the wood, so on. The test is not Isaac. The test is Abraham. You ever stop to think that through the centuries, even before the world was ever made, they were always together, always together. I was with him when he made the world, says Proverbs chapter 8. Who? Jesus. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As Colossians 1 says, all things were made for him, by him, and for him. And he was before all things. He made man, they were together. When man rebelled in chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis, God said, let us, let us go down. Us, us, us go down. Plural. Down to the centuries, 
There never was any separation between the Father and the Son. Abraham and Isaac, when Isaac said, Father, here's the fire and here's the knife, but where's your offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for an offering. So they went, both of them, together. And then when the hour came for the offering up of Isaac, God stopped him. God would not permit Abraham to go through what he himself would go through 2,000 years afterwards. When Jesus cried out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? See what I mean? But I'm coming right back to this question of propitiation. Mercy and truth kissed each other. Christ so satisfied the heart of God, the righteous character of God, that God is free. Can I use that simple term? God is free now to take any man or any woman who will come to his son and put their trust in his son. He's free to save them absolutely completely. Have I made myself clear now? Now, redemption has to do with what? Could you give me a definition of redemption? What is it? Purchased for the purpose of liberation, all right, or some words like that. And reconciliation is what? God making peace for sinners, for the world. And propitiation? To be a little theological, you know, the divine satisfaction, but I like to just say he satisfied, the, he vindicated the righteous character of God. He met all the demands of the holy character of God, which leads me now to something that's very vital to you. Now, these three things we've been talking about, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, if nobody had been saved, if nobody had accepted the Savior, he accomplished the work, he finished the job. God accepted that work for you and for me. But now let's get down to where we are. And what I want to take up now is this great doctrine of justification. This great doctrine of justification. I was looking to see if I could find that, if I had that psalm in here where justice and mercy have kissed each other. I think it's um, the 85th Psalm, the 10th verse, I believe it. You can look it up. Psalm 8510, I think that's it. Now, be, be, before I leave this question of propitiation, there's just one more thing I ought to say. I'm talking about the vindication of God's righteousness. May I, may I uh, put it this way? Satan has a tremendous argument against God and a tremendous argument against you. Satan can say to you, you old sinners, you can't come in the presence of a holy God. It's impossible. It's a good argument. He can say to God, your very righteousness prevents you doing anything for man. You can't look upon sin without judging it. And you poor old sinner, you've sinned so much, you can't come in the presence of a holy God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he meant that thing. Satan can't say that anymore. God's righteousness has been vindicated and a way open for sinners, no question about them being sinners, of coming in the presence of God in Christ.
The argument has been destroyed. Now we come to the question of justification. Justification. And this has to do with believers. When you and I were saved, we were justified. This is the doctrine of Romans chapter 3, uh, 21 to 511. It's a great doctrine of justification. See, Romans is the great foundational book of doctrine of the gospel. And again, I would suggest that the gospel is a, is a revelation of the righteousness of God. We're going to see that. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Do you all know Romans 1, 16 and 17? Well, you quote it to me. Come on now. For I am not ashamed. I'll, give you, I'll help you. I am not ashamed of the... How many know Romans 1, 16? Uh, 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 all right, I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little job between now and next Tuesday. I want you to memorize Romans 1, 16 and 17. All right, those of you who know it, help me out, will you? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For therein, that is in this gospel, is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. Oh, you say, the gospel is a revelation of the love of God. That's true, but it's a revelation primarily of the righteousness of God. He could not display his love until his righteousness was vindicated. I've oftentimes said what righteousness could not do, his love in grace has done for you and me. Now then we come to this question of justification. Let me give you, first of all, a definition. A definition. Justification. It's God pronouncing the sinner righteous who believes in Jesus Christ. God pronouncing righteous the sinner who believes in Jesus puts their trust, when I say believing, I mean to put their trust in the Savior. Now, if you ask the average fellow, what does justification mean? The average Christian, he said, oh, that means I stand before God as if I had never sinned. Maybe you've heard that. I, when Billy Graham was in Portland the first time in 1950, I guess it was, his second, the second great campaign of Billy Graham, by the way, was in Portland. The first one was in Los Angeles. He had a big tent meeting down there, and he was ready to close the doors, ready to give it up. When two fellows, well-known fellows, were saved. Uh, this man, uh, Hammond, is it? Uh, he was a Hollywood character, was saved. And Jim Voss, who used to be, work with, with Mickey Cohen, that crook, Mickey Cohen, was saved. And Jim was saved. I knew his father very, very well. He used to work among the Jewish people. And uh, when that happened, then they had an extra week of meetings. They had a closing, they had another week. And that week, that the, the dam burst, you know, and a lot of folk were saved. Well, he came to Portland here, and we built a tabernacle seating 10,000 people right near uh, Benson High School. My job 
was given, my job given to me, pushed on me, I should say, be better word to put, they pushed it on me, was to take charge of all the counselors. So we had about 14 weeks of training 1,500 Christians in Portland how to do personal work. We had six classes a week in different parts of the city. I didn't teach any except if the teacher could, uh, couldn't be there, I'd take it. And I had six preachers, six men who, some from Multnomah, who, uh, who taught a class once a week. For 14 weeks we had training. We had 2,000 prayer meetings in the city, all over the city. You put little signs in your, on your front lawn, prayer meeting here Thursday night, you know, come on in. And a real move of God. I got my men together, my committee, preachers and laymen were on my committee, and I got them together, and I said, I have, I'm working out this little outline, this little work on personal work, on counseling. I want you to okay it or kick it out whenever you want to. Came the question of justification. I said, now, shall we put in this question of justification? And one of the pastors said, well, of course, we all believe in justification. I said, uh, what do you think it means? Oh, he said, we all know what that means, Mr. Mitchell. It means we stand before God as if we'd never sinned. Well, I didn't say anything. I put in justification, taught it the way I wanted taught. See, well, if justification were just that, that we stand before God as if we'd never sinned, that would mean that we stand before God in innocency. Justification is a positive thing. Now, it's true. That statement is true. But it's not justification. That's more than, more along the line of forgiveness. But justification is a positive thing. We stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. And we can't stand before God unless we have the righteousness of Christ. Now, this is the doctrine of justification. Not all you'll be getting it in your doctrinal studies. It won't hurt you to get, get it right. Before you get there, and then when, and then whoever teaches you will put the capstone to it. Oh, I'm just, I'm just laying a foundation. Always be talking about the spiritual life. If you're not too sure about where you stand before God, when these things begin to pile up in your mind, in your heart, boy, they, 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 they transition into a life that is under the power of God. That just comes very simply. Now, justification. Let me give you a definition again. Justification. It's God pronouncing righteous. The man, the woman who believes, puts their trust in Jesus. Uh, while I'm on the job, let me say something else. There is only one righteousness in the universe, and that's God's. I'll repeat that. There is only one righteousness in the universe, and that's God's righteousness. You don't have any. Huh? Well, Isaiah... 60, what is it? 64, 6. Our righteousnesses are in God's sight as what? Filthy rags. Is that Isaiah 64, 6? You know, sometimes I begin to slip on some of these quotations, and I shouldn't. You know, 
but I, I think it's, is it 64? Anybody check up beyond that? 64, 6, is it? Have you looked it up, anybody? All right, 64, 6. Our righteousness is in God's sight as filthy rags, not even laundered rags, not even clean rags. Just what? Plain, filthy rags. So the best you can do is filthy rags. That's why he promised, and I'll take it up in our next lesson. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, God saying through Isaiah, I will clothe thee with the garments of righteousness. I will clothe thee with the garments of righteousness, and so on. Now, we didn't get very far this morning, but I hope you got enough to go along and enjoy the Savior today. Enjoy the Savior today for yourself. Just think, just, I look you all over, I'll tell you, it's wonderful grace. You folk can come at any time in the presence of God. Why? Because you stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. Wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. We're going to see that. I'm very anxious about this truth of justification that you get clearly in your mind and your heart and your life. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.